It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. You're about to listen to the 27th episode of Screen Talk, which also happens to be our final episode of the year. When we started the show back in June, we were fresh out of the Cannes Film Festival, and award season was just starting to take shape. So from the very beginning, we always wanted to discuss a much bigger picture than just Oscar movies and all the marketing hoopla that that entails. Even as the race heats up, we have a lot more to consider. And there has been no greater story this month outside of award season candidates than the Sony hack. In this week's episode, we consider the ramifications of the story and how it has impacted our understanding of the film industry as a whole. But we also consider potential upside. There are a lot of other movies out there dealing with different challenges. And yes, some of them are Oscar contenders this year. We'd like to thank everyone in the film community and beyond who has tuned into our podcast over the last few months. As always, if you like what we do, we hope you'll take a moment to review the show on iTunes, where you can also subscribe to weekly updates. And you can always find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Cohn, and Ann Thompson is at AK Stanwick. Welcome to Screen Talk, and you are his weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief film critic, joined by Thompson and Hollywood's Ann Thompson. And I have to tell you, every week we talk about things that are going on in Oscar season and new movies, and it always feels like we're maybe one step ahead of the game, just in terms of anticipating things that are about to happen, movies that are about to open, uh, buzz around the industry. But it's really weird these past couple of weeks with everything that's been going on with the Sony hack and now the decision by the studio not to release the interview. So much of this was completely unexpected. You know, we knew this movie was coming along, but every step of the way there have been so many bizarre, creepy surprises that are, have so many ramifications for how we talk about the film industry. I mean, what do you make of all this stuff? Well, at first I was very caught up in, in you know, what was being revealed by by the emails. And, of course, we were all speculating uh, about, you know, who was behind this. And it just seemed so initially improbable that a big government like North Korea would, would actually be, be focused on a comedy, a little comedy, you know, a little Seth Rogen uh, comedy. But of course, the the you know, so I got caught in the weeds of you know what is it what does it mean for the studio? you know, how did Amy Pascal use emails in a way that that really were inappropriate for for a studio head or how you know what was the relationship between Amy Pascal and Scott Rudin? What did it reveal about the Steve Jobs movie, which I found fascinating actually, and very revealing of many of these emails give us a, a, a great glimpse into the process of making movies and how um, studio heads like Amy Pascal make their decisions, the kinds of pressures that are placed on them. The Steve Jobs movie is a perfect example of, you know, the how does she negotiate with these sort of um, 
um, you know, incredibly uh, mercurial uh, talents, you know, people like Rudin and Angelina Jolie, you know, and, and, and how does she, you know, make decisions about the bottom line when she's under such pressure to deliver, uh, you know, you know, and I know, and everybody in Hollywood knows that Amy Pascal knows the difference between a good movie and a bad movie, but she also knows the difference between um, having a job and losing a job, right. and her job has been under some duress, and this whole thing only put her under the microscope even more. But now that the new revelations have come through, that North Korea really was behind this, that the threat, uh, you know, that, that moviegoers and theaters on Christmas Day were being threatened, you know, that you can, you know, recognize how vulnerable theaters are to this kind of 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 threat and and so many people were upset with Sony uh, first for putting it on the theaters and letting them have the chance to take the movie away if they wanted to second for uh, you know pulling the movie and succumbing seeming to give in to a terrorist threat the point I would make now though is that the fact that it's North Korea is is really the difference here if. And, and we don't know when Sony knew that or, or what kind of timeline they were working with. We don't know how prepared they were for this ultimate threat. But clearly, um, a rogue state, a state that doesn't have real international commerce with other countries, that has no binds, no ties, you know, except maybe for China, that, that a country like North Korea can do anything and doesn't care and doesn't operate under the same uh, ordinary constraints that the rest of us do and, and treats their leader as a god and considers it, you know, it's like we're dealing with some Egyptian, you know, pharaoh. Um, and, 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 and they took this movie seriously in a way that no one else could possibly imagine. Part of the point that you're getting at is that once... It, it became a North Korea story because North Korea was was involved. It, the narrative of this became so much larger than the film itself. And let's be clear, you know, if if North Korea really knew what was going on in terms of the way that we mocked this country, you know, there probably would have been something with Team America, you know, a couple of years back. But, Which was a flop, actually. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it I was mean, an animated puppet movie, and, you know. And it was, whatever. I think, a, a much more extreme sort of satire in, in a lot of ways. But the story, as I've heard, is that someone from the North Korean government saw a trailer for uh, the interview a number of months ago, and that was just sort of how they discovered it. I mean, if you look at other filmmakers... Who, who make movies under extreme duress with these dictatorial regimes, like Jafar Panahi in Iran, who's been banned from filmmaking for 20 years and still makes movies. How does he do that? Well, they're not really movie buffs in the Iranian propaganda administration, you know, so they're not tracking this stuff. And what, what happened here was that the movie was basically an, an excuse in some ways for North Korea to explore its options of... of, of Taking, taking out, uh, you know, a, a certain kind of aggression against not Hollywood per se, but America at large. So when it becomes a North Korea story, it's no longer a movie story. And that connection, as you say, changes everything. I have to tell you, the other thing is 
the, the email well, I story. I want to argue with you. Wait, wait, wait. Before you go on, the, the, the fact that theaters are vulnerable is still a big deal. I mean, it, it, this but it, reveals it's not a big something. deal because it's a, the theaters are vulnerable. It's a big deal because anything is vulnerable. It has to do with American safety and how we choose to deal with security issues. Not, you know, it's not about the film industry itself. I mean, it, you know, there were there were malls that didn't want their theaters showing these things. The onus was on so many different power players who had the, the sort of resources to choose whether or not they wanted to put this movie out there. But they is, put their staffs and their and their own employees and their and the 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 safety of of audiences. At, at, you know, they had to take all of that into into consideration. I I just think I, I think that. We're, we in America are not accustomed. I mean, nine eleven was a huge shock for us. You know, we are not as accustomed as many other countries are to the vulnerability of terrorist attack. We have become more accustomed, but now, um, and we don't know whether they would actually have done anything for real. But the risk was too great to take. No, absolutely, I agree. And just to circle back to to those emails, I think now that now that we are talking about this this much bigger picture. The emails themselves, I don't think, in spite of the fact that they are fascinating in certain ways to dig through from just a you know, general understanding of how this, this work happens, I don't think they really change our, our sort of overall sense of how, what the film industry is. You know, there's no new information or, or fresh perspective just because we can see that so-and-so calls so-and-so names behind so-and-so's back. You know, and that, you know, oh, it's, we already knew that Jobs was dropped by Sony, but we didn't know, you know, how, how sort of belligerent everyone was when that all went down. You know, it's not. You know, but, but the thing about that, that Jobs thing that I still find um, fascinating is how difficult it really was for the studio to make that movie and why it fell apart. I, I think that that if you really dig into that, it shows why so few good movies get made. That, that there, there's a real, there's more to, there's more to be revealed if you dig into that story than, than has been so far. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's sort of the, the more fascinating takeaway from those of us who actually care about sort of the quality of the product, not just its health in the marketplace. You know, it's like when you spend your year watching movies at film festivals and then you see the kind of legwork involved in, in producing, you know, large-scale movies that aren't necessarily even going to be good after all that effort, it really shows you the kind of gulf that we're dealing with between the sort of the scale of the product and, and whether or not it's any good. And one of the points that I did make in, in the $11 billion uh, year, uh, which, which is still true, um, is every year when the Oscar contenders line up and you see which films turned out to be, for better or for worse, among the most high quality, um, you know, even though... There are many small-scale indies that that should be in the conversation that aren't for various reasons having to do with resources and campaigning and so forth. The, the point is that they are the ones that were labors of love, that people pushed, 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 despite all the obstacles that were uh, laid against them. And... Um, and they are often independent, and they are often not paid for by studios, and they are often released by studios, but not generated by them. And that is still true this year, uh, more than ever. Yeah, no, I mean, it is interesting. Even the Oscar movies that I don't really care for look better by comparison when we're talking about some of the other stuff that uh, isn't being, you know, prioritized in necessarily the same way or, or, or in, you know, isn't being sort of considered 
to be, you know, sort of great work. It's just sort of being put out there because it has to be put out there. And, you know, I think every movie that we've been talking about in terms of award season as being a serious front runner for best picture, best actor, and so forth, even the ones that I'm not crazy about are still better than stuff that costs a lot more money and isn't made in order to be, you know, the best it can possibly be. Um, yeah, that's what's really depressing about the Sony stuff. The Sony stuff is is just, you know, a lot of people criticize Sony for the bad movies that they make and that sort of hack work. Not not the hack attack, but the hack work that 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 gets gets put out and, you know, the kind of cynical um decision making that goes on and 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 it's sad because if they if if, if the, the 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 incredible self-awareness that a lot of those emails reveal, you know, that they know that it's crap, you right. know? And, and if, if they know it and if they could just, if, if, if everybody could just look at the evidence for what works and what doesn't work and really apply the rules to it, they, they would come out ahead, which is originality cells, you know, uh, letting directors have vision and, and freedom, it, it, you know, letting passion rule. You know, there are so many reasons to do the things that they don't do. <laughs> and yeah. when they let them happen, it works a lot of the time. Yeah, well, I mean, look at uh, Boyhood versus Birdman in the race for best picture. I mean, it, it really shows you a unique contrast to what tenpoles are and what blockbusters are. Um, and, and I unique, think, uh, unique, unique. Yeah, they're Why just not? new ideas. Why and, not? And look, Obama said Boyhood was his favorite movie of the year this week in People magazine. I mean, right. that tells you something as, as, as you know, superficial as it might sound. You know, that, that movie was not, not even made under the kind of expectations for the success that it's had at any point in time. You know, but it, but it was just so purely good that it's getting the kind of momentum that it deserves, irrespective of the challenges that Boyhood presents for audiences, the fact that the audiences are up for that challenge and receptive to it, and the conversation around the movie is so enthusiastic in so many different channels, you know, that speaks volumes about the need for innovation. You know, right. this, whole, this whole idea that studios are being risk-averse because they know how to do good business, I think, is being upended by what we're seeing in terms of how people actually watch movies and talk about movies versus where they invest the rest of their time in TV and home viewing in general. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more about Oscar season since this is probably the last time we'll have a chance to dig into it in 2014. And obviously after the new year, it's going to be a totally different game as, as the nominations get closer and closer. A lot of stuff happened in December, Anne, and, and things have changed radically since we first started poking around to think about, uh, you know, who, who's really a serious contender in this race. What would you say is sort of the, the, the biggest change that we're looking at in terms of the kind of front runners now? Well, the, the front runners remain the ones that we always thought they were. They remain Boyhood and Birdman and uh, Imitation Game. And coming up fast and not totally predicted by me, I have to argue, um, is the Grand Budapest Hotel, which has just been doing very, very well among all the different groups. And not doing so well as Foxcatcher, which looks vulnerable, which I always predicted, I'm afraid, because of the nature of, of the film. It just is one of those films. Coming along very well is Whiplash. Coming along, I mean, we did a story today about the top editing candidates, and sometimes the editing nominees are very close as uh, to the, sometimes even closer than, than the directing 
families, which can be, uh, uh, they can really split and do different things there uh, with that group. But the editing nominees are often the, the best picture nominees, and Whiplash is in that group, you know? Yeah, so, very interesting, so, uh, actually. Yeah. I mean, they, we, yeah. It, it, Whiplash it could be the, gra- the, the It could be the Dallas Buyers Club of this year, you know, yeah. the, or the Beasts of the Southern Wild, the indie that could, yeah. you know? Which is fascinating since Boyhood is is also, you know, an indie that was a big Sundance moment. And, you know, it's it furthers that whole understanding of the Oscars as being, you know, providing a, a, an interesting kind of alternative to the sort of movies people actually want. I mean, Whiplash has been in theaters for like over two months now. It's still doing pretty well in like 100... And Budapest screens. opened back in March, you know. So, right. so, you know, that's amazing. Now, Nightcrawler is doing well. Jake Gyllenhaal is likely the nominee, maybe even Dan Gilroy for, for screenplay. But that, I doubt that it's going to make it to best uh, picture, but but it's still, you know, doing way better. And and we, you know, as soon as we saw it in Toronto, we thought it might have a shot. And Open Road so far has not, not blown it. It's still a possibility. The real surprise is, for me, really, um, is is that Jennifer Aniston could get the fifth slot for best actress as opposed to hillary swank or or amy adams or emily blunt it looks like it's jennifer aniston it's kind of fascinating that's one blind spot for me i still haven't seen cake but it just shows you that there's always something in there that can surprise you you know and and well that that narrative sometimes the story of the person she's one of those actresses who's been in Hollywood a long time, people very popular, very well liked. She's talented. She is doing something without makeup, very uh, no holds barred, uh, very, she she does a great job. The movie itself, eh, you know, but, but (laughs) she's fantastic in it, but I didn't think the movie would resonate or that people would see it or that it would have that kind of, uh, of uh, impact. And obviously the people campaigning for Aniston and Aniston herself have gotten the film out there. The question is whether it happens for the Oscars as well. This is a sign of how much impact getting that attention early on can change the the course of of someone's possibilities for an Oscar. And it's very interesting, too, because the nominations are pretty close. I mean, less than a month away now. And uh, there are a lot of unknown variables. I mean, critics and critics groups, we've talked about them before and how they're not necessarily indicators of anything in terms of how the Oscar race shakes down. But people talk about them and, and their process during award season. And so in some ways, they, they're obviously part of that narrative. And, you know, we just published... What, they do, well, what was, they do is they give people a reason to watch something on the screener pile. And what happens at this time of year is that everybody goes on vacation. It's the holidays. And the thing that you and I don't realize is how... I mean, we, we many people don't realize, we may realize it, is how many people haven't seen the films. If you go around and talk to people, they haven't seen the films. Now is when they will see them. And now is when all of these critics groups and and globes and and sag and all that stuff has an has an impact on what they watch yeah and and you know obviously few fewer people are going to be distracted by the interview now so they have a few more (laughs) options i mean one of the things that's interesting about about that whole story is that uh you know it was already a pretty crowded christmas day you know you have selma opening into the woods american sniper probably some other stuff i can't even remember now um, big but, Eyes. Big Eyes, the Tim Burton movie. So, you know, and those are all movies that 
are either major unbroken players or un unbroken or, or these are movies that are, are vying to be major players. So, you know, it's um, it, it's absolutely going to be sort of, a, you know, a quick turnaround in terms of how the conversation could change after next week. You What's know. happening that's really interesting is that Unbroken, which I consider to be a perfectly presentable and uh, well-made uh, drama, hard to sit through, but, you know, it's whatever. Um, I think a lot of people have been going after it and after Angelina Jolie in a way that I find somewhat disturbing. There's an, el an edge to it. It's almost as if they're attacking a... It's almost like Scott Rudin, you know, attacking a spoiled movie star or mm. something. Whereas I see her as someone who's very hardworking and very dedicated and, and did the work and, and, you know, absolutely diligent. You know, I, I really don't understand the, the vitriol because um, the, the, I, I honestly, sincerely believe the movie is perfectly fine. Um, Let me explain as I the said, vitriol, vitriol to you, Anne. We live in a really harsh, mean-spirited time where anybody who's an easy target is basically wearing it around all the time. You know, that's like, true. That's I mean, it's true. every time, you know, I'm sure I don't. It's not I don't that I'm just really. rooting for her as a woman, though. No, honestly. I, I get it. I, don't, and, I, and I, I see think it as it a is, different thing. The, the reality is, and not a lot of people saw in the land of blood and honey, but if you just look at those it was two good. movies, good. yeah, I don't know. If you just look at those two movies, I mean, she's she's a good filmmaker. I mean, there's definitely something going on there in terms of what Angelina good. Jolie, the director, that. is versus you know, what Angelina Jolie, the, the actor and the activist is. So, you know, that's something that will be interesting to find out. I mean, she'll have another movie next year with her husband by the sea starring Brad Pitt. So that, that she'll still be in the conversation. I'm not, as a I'm not feeling sorry for Angelina yeah. Jolie. It's just, it's just, you know, she's a fortunate person and, and got to make the movie and so on. But it, the vitriol does, 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 you know, the broadcast film critics came through for her uh, in a way that the Globes, surprisingly did not and and but the the movie that's that's doing well is selma selma is, yeah. is really doing well and and i think uh could could david Ayello could get into the fifth slot uh ava duvernay could get nominated uh it, it could get into best picture um and that's that's a that's a an interesting narrative too yeah, and I, you know, the, like I was, I was going to say before the we just published our critics poll, and and the results of that poll show, you know, for a large volume of critics around the world, that to some degree consensus syncs up with what you think are the front runners. But there, there's a wider field going on there. I mean, we have Marion Cotillard in Two Days One Night, which is also opening uh, next week. You know, and that's, um, that's uh, you know, one movie that, while not necessarily getting the same kind of exposure as a lot of stuff, could still be in the conversation in some fashion just because it is very well-liked and she is very well-liked and she's really, really good in that movie. You know, and Ray Fiennes, uh, you know, he won Best Actor in our poll uh, for Grand Budapest Hotel. And while Ray Fiennes may not be, a, you know, in the conversation for Best Actor, I think it does show you that, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel has been a kind of secret weapon of sorts and it's, it's still very much something that people are thinking about and considering and you know we had 220 critics vote in our poll so that's not the American public but I think it does sort of represent to some degree the fact that there, there's a real sense of, of, of spreading the love across a lot of different categories here and after after Christmas we may see all kinds of different shifts and I personally you know I, I'm more uh, sort of 
sitting by the sidelines and, and speaking up when I can. You're, you're sort of the veteran of the table. But I, but I will say that it's, it's exciting for me to see so many unknown variables. And, and even the known variables are sort of weird, off-kilter. You know, it's, it's not just that it's an interesting year. It just feels like a different way to be talking about award season because of the kind of stuff that's in contention. The critic's role, as I've said, is to is to put other things up in front of people to consider. And Marion Cotillard, obviously with the New York Film Critics and so forth, is 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 in that conversation. But but unfortunately, the truth of the matter is that uh, while Grand Budapest will have been widely seen as the most successful independent film of the year, uh, you know, it was a genuine hit and very entertaining. Um, Two days, one night is not going to be widely seen. You know, the foreign, the people who are covering the the critics did, but the but the the Academy at large, no. Well, it's, and, it's and that's bad. a Darden Brothers film. Yeah, and nor will they have seen the immigrant. So the awareness that the critics have of her uh, extraordinary performance is not going to be shared um, by the Academy at large, uh, and and I, I doubt that she gets into the fifth slot. Well, it's it's too bad, but I but I do hope that people get a chance to go check it out because it's a it's a really good movie, and at this time of the year, it's really hard to kind of raise the awareness for you know the, these sort of smaller films that are being released. I mean, it's you know it's not Boyhood, you know what I mean? It's not Birdman. It doesn't have that kind of event sort of aura around it, and and that can be a real challenge right now. Speaking of which, we should probably shift into talking about our picks for this week. Um, again, you know, it being December, it's, it's, it's kind of a tough one, but there are a couple movies that are, that are opening in theaters and some good options that, um, people can check out that aren't really, you know, just part of the award season fervor. The one that I want to single out is called Goodbye to All That. It's, uh, the first, uh, it's the directorial debut for Angus McLaughlin, who's a very, uh, established playwright, uh, and he's probably best known for writing the screenplay for Junebug, which was based on his play. Um, Phil Morrison's uh, sort of Sundance acclaimed film from 2005, um, and it's uh, it's a very small movie. Goodbye to all that, uh, but it's but it's got a really interesting kind of tone to it that's worth checking out. It's basically Paul Schneider as this guy who uh, is dropped by his wife, sort of out of nowhere, played by Melanie Linsky, and goes on this binge, sleeping with all these different women, and in the process has this kind of mental breakdown and has to start from scratch with his life. And um, while, the, you know, to some degree you might say that, you know, there is some kind of very, like, male-dominated perspective that kind of limits the appeal of this movie, actually a lot of it is done both from the perspective of his young daughter sort of uh, trying to understand exactly what's going on with her parents and, and in this world that's not fully accessible to her, but she's still processing it in a very smart way. And the other part of it is that the women who come and go through this guy's life uh, they're they're pretty harsh judges of, of his behavior, and he does receive a sort of comeuppance. So it's a very savvy movie in that sense. It's not purely an indictment, but it's also not sympathetic to this guy who's who's sort of you know awash in 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 the kind of recklessness that's built up with his life over the years. But you know, it's again, it's a small movie. I mean, a lot of it is just sort of quieter conversations. It's got a, a bit of a vulgar edge to it. It reminded me sort of of uh, the guys who did I Love You, Philip Morris, and uh, Bad Santa, the, sort of the, the way that they're sort of able to have a sort of solemn quality, but it's still kind of raunchy humor. And, and I liked it quite a bit as a result, so I hope people will check it out. You know, it's, a, it's an IFC release, and you can imagine IFC having Boyhood coming out 
um, all over the place. And, and then two days, one night opening next week has a lot going on. So it's hard to say how much exposure this one's going to get. But it's, it's, it's a nice one worth checking out. And it is doing day and date. So, you know, if people want to watch it at home, I think it works in, in that format as well. What's your pick, Anne? I'm just going to go with Mr. Turner. Um, it's Good finally going to be seen in theaters, and it's worth seeing in the theater. That's why I want to bring it up. I mean, you've heard of it because we've been talking about it ever since Can, but it's gorgeous. It's a big screen movie. The paintings of, of Turner, the, the, the landscapes of England, the, the actual uh, artist in the environment looking at the beauty of nature, I highly recommend seeing this film in a theater. So the next time that we get together for one of these things, it's going to be 2015, which still sounds, sounds weirdly futuristic to me, and I'm just assuming that I'll have some new crazy devices that I use to communicate and you know, everything, everything will change and, and maybe I'll, I'll get hacked in the process. You know, there's so many unknown variables at this point. But uh, we should talk a little bit before the end of the year about what we expect to happen in the new year since we're, we're, uh, we're heading there now. You know, I, uh, I feel like, you know, every year that I do this, I get a little bit more sort of intimate with what it means to be a part of the, the film community and, you know, sort of the ways in which sort of our professional drive and our personal drive kind of become one thing. And one of the things that's exciting for me is, you know, as we talked about a few weeks ago when the Sundance lineup came out, you know, there's such a broad spectrum of possibilities when it comes to talking about new movies. And I think that this cluttered marketplace and this sense of not knowing what can be successful and how things stand out is actually very exciting if you care about movies because there's just so much to talk about. And so, you know, my resolution for the new year is to continue to find new ways to talk about movies and to present them to people and and to present the right kinds of movies to people. And, you know, I hope that other people feel similarly, but... And maybe you have some other resolutions uh, on your on your to do list. <laughs> I, I just want to survive. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Look, I this is a very busy time, very crazy time. We're heading into the holidays. I'm looking forward to spending time with family and friends, and um, going back east. So that'll be fun. And I'm going to see theater. I'm going to. I think. I think what I want to do in some ways is focus less on movies and more more on life, more on uh, literature and um, travel and the world. And, and, you know, remember that movies are not everything. Um, They're pretty important to me and I care about them and I will continue to share what I've learned about them with all of you, but um, it's not the, the be all and end all. That's part of, that's part of how I feel. Well, I hope that when we reconvene, you still feel that way because I know people get when they go on vacation for a while. Anything can happen. So don't forget about the movies when you're hanging out by the fireplace with the family. And uh, I've got the screeners with me, believe okay, me. Okay, good. Well, that's your security. Never, never let the movies get too far away from you. Well, yeah, I'm gonna, note, I'm gonna finish watching the affair. <laughs> Everybody's guilty got a pleasure. Bunch. That's that's where I'm heading. Yeah, I was thinking about checking out how to get away with murder, but we'll see how things go. There you go. (laughs) Have a good holiday. You too, and see you soon. Maybe you could lend me a good woman. I'll pay you back when my ship comes in. Anything to get me out of the ghetto. If you're really a true friend, that's all I need. 
that's all I need. Just one step above the ghetto. Just enough to get by. I'll pay you back. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.